0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Black and Red Book Review Podcast. For those of you joining me for the very first time, my name is Doc. I am an anti-fascist, an anarchist, a union man, and an all-around troublemaker based out of so-called New England. And on this podcast, I rate, read, review, critique, and mock white nationalist and neo-Nazi literature. I read this shit so that other people don't have to. Uh, This season, we've been going through a list of... uh, really luminous figures on the white nationalist far-right. And we've sort of been exploring the line between normie conservatives and and out-and-out white nationalists and modern fascists of all stripes. Uh, And I thought, for this next episode, that it might be a little more interesting to just not do that. Um, And instead of trying to deal with someone who had plausible dog whistles or had reasonable things to say or who tried to reach out to normie conservatives in some way. I thought it'd be interesting to hear a perspective from somebody who, who never even remotely tried to do any of that. Uh, the name of today's author in question has come up a few times in the history of this podcast, as was pointed out to me by a friend of mine this morning. Uh, but he has not himself appeared on this podcast up until now. So, everyone, I would like to uh, announce that this episode in particular will be covering the life and times and literary works of Mr. George Lincoln Rockwell, founder of the American Nazi Party and one of the all-time great contestants in the game show that this podcast likes to refer to as America's Next Top Fuhrer. Now, Rockwell was a longtime contestant in America's Next Top Fuhrer. He was the original contestant in America's Next Top Fuhrer, discounting uh, you know, the Silver Shirts and William Dudley Pelley and so on. But he was, for the boomer generation, Rockwell was the contestant. No one even came close, certainly not David Duke, certainly not Harold Covington, uh, certainly not even Richard Spencer has come close to doing what Rockwell managed to accomplish. Uh, which was basically founding an outfit of 15 gullible fucks living in a house uh, with him, uh, getting to call him Commander, giving him all of their money and time, and then shooting him so that he died in a parking lot in Pennsylvania. Uh, which is, the parking lot, by the way, was in a strip, a uh, outside a laundromat in a strip mall in Pennsylvania. Which is the place all American fear wannabes deserve to uh, bleed out, frankly. Um, And this podcast is glad that he did. Uh, But, having gotten that biographical overview out of the way, uh, today's episode is not so much about Rockwell's life and times and career with the American Nazi Party. I would like to provisionally title this episode, Race Wars, the Rise of Rockwell. Uh, The text we'll be covering today is This Time the World, which is right off the bat, fantastic title, reeks of evil, maniacal energy. And if it weren't coming from a Nazi, I would say that I'm here for it. Uh, (laughs) But it is coming from a Nazi, so fuck him, of course. Um, But it's basically Rockwell's autobiography of himself going through his family life, his his childhood, his uh, romantic history, which, oh boy, we will get to that, don't worry. Um, But we have to start off here in an orderly fashion, going through the acknowledgments. here. Rockwell thanks three people by name. All three of them are pretty famous Americans at his time. Uh, Douglas MacArthur, the general that tried to nuke China. General Charles Lindbergh, the uh, famous pilot from the 20s and later Hitler uh, Nazi agent, who was never a general and Senator Joseph McCarthy, famous for McCarthyism and dying of alcoholism when he couldn't find all those phantom communists. Uh, It was the communists that made McCarthy drink himself to death. That's the position on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, The caveats from Rockwell, who wrote this autobiography himself, as the term autobiography would imply, he states, uh, very legalese fashion, quote, "...no implication is here intended..." that these men are or were members of the American Nazi Party. So he then goes on to cite three men who he says helped create the American Nazi Party, a guy by the name of Floyd Fleming, a guy by the name of Deputy Commander Major J.V. Kenneth Morgan, which, by the way, Rockwell, right, just a a note uh, here from the host of the Black and Red Book Reveal, If you're going to uh, have a guy named Morgan and you're going to give him paramilitary bullshit ranks, obviously you name him Captain Morgan. Major Morgan, alliteration, fine. I I understand that, you know. We're here for that too from anyone who isn't a Nazi. But obviously you name him Captain Morgan. Alright? Captain J.V. Kenneth Morgan rolls off the tongue. Moving on. A guy by the name of D. West Hooker, who... uh, Apparently schooled him in anti-Semitism, so that's fun. Um, A a guy uh, named—a name like D. West Hooker, you could have done any number of things in life, and, you know, schooling a two-bit grifter in anti-Semitism is really beneath the dignity of the name D. West Hooker, if you ask me, but that's—whatever. Moving on, uh, there's a third section of the dedication, which is just straight up dedicated to Hitler. Uh, he pledges his he pledged our lives to Hitler, blah, 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 moving on. Uh, by the way, intermittently in the text, Rockwell will refer to himself in the third person. He doesn't do it consistently, it just sort of comes and goes out of nowhere, so be warned of that. Uh... So we move on to the preface. Um, by the way, I have a notes here in front of me. For fuck's sake, all in caps here, get to the text, Rockwell. The preface itself is just, oh my fucking God, it goes on way too long. Um, so here we go. Uh, he's referring to anti-fascists here, by the way, when he says, quote, The same group still have their millions and their hate-crazed fanatics who cannot answer or stop my arguments and ideas, and who must therefore stop me personally, or else be exposed and driven out for the villains that they are. They will seize on this book like starved vultures, and comb it for new evidence of the insanity they must prove against me or stand convicted of themselves. Under these circumstances, it is frightening to think what they can or will try to do with the honest little confessions of human foibles and mistakes, which I believe are due from an autobiographer to his readers, if the Work is not to be a disgusting piece of self-adulation. Looking at you, David Duke, author of A Disgusting Piece of Self-adulation, as we covered previously. Ro- I, Rockwell, am also aware. That the revelation of intimate and sometimes less than heroic acts of foolishness or even wickedness will make it more difficult later on to establish the political legend about my person, which will be necessary to provide the white race with the strong leadership it must have if white Western civilization is to survive. First of all. I understand that Rockwell invented every phenomenon of the far right of the past five years or so, six years. Certainly the dog whistle of Western civilization that the Proud Boys are so fond of. The wannabe jockeying for wealth and power that the big-time names on the former and now defunct alt-right used to do. uh, And so on and so on. But uh, since he was rough-drafting all the shit that would come later... Uh, Western civilization is a very effective dog whistle. You don't need to throw the word white in front of there. Although I do appreciate you not dog whistling to your own audience or me. So, thanks, George Lincoln Rockwell, I guess. Um, Anyway, he concludes, This conscious building of a masterful father image capable of leadership has always been vital to the masses of common people here and everywhere else. Uh, So there's a deep, deep theme of elitism and snobbery that just runs through the the core of this text, and we will see many examples of that moving forward, so bear with me here. Who is this book for, you may be asking, and Rockwell answers that for us. This book is directed more to the intellectual circles... Presently drowning in oceans of Marxism, which have inundated all our colleges and universities, that it is to the masses of common people for whom the knowledge that I am an exponent of gas chambers is sufficient understanding of my philosophy. By the way, we can just uh, go ahead with this in front of me here and just underline the phrase, I am an exponent of gas chambers. Rockwell is an exponent of gas chambers. That is a thing... That he is in favor of. So let's underline that. Just so no one can accuse me of taking Rockwell out of context. Um, Rockwell is an exponent of gas chambers. Loves them. Wants to build more of them. So that's where he's coming from. I would also like to draw your attention to the part of this paragraph where he invents the idea of, of Mar- closet Marxists invading our colleges. Um so, if you have an uncle who rants about cultural Marxism and critical race theory and grooming or whatever, he's just repeating American Nazi Party talking points from the sixties. So, your uncle doesn't have to be a Nazi to do that, of course, but um, it's it uh, that's where it comes from, at least going back that far in the United States. So, moving on here. <laughs> He's uh, there's a part of this preface where he's addressing the future anti-fascists who are, address- who are reading his book to make fun of him. Quote, I do not overly concern myself, therefore, with the probable exploitation of my self-revealed foibles and weaknesses, because my enemies are already having a field day lying about me, with far more virtuosity than they could display if they confined themselves to what I write here. The masses will not, and indeed cannot, read this book." Yeah, the masses are too stupid to understand what Rockwell is going on about. Uh, and so, therefore, this book is written to a select few uh, intellectual elites of the white race. And also his enemies, apparently. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I will say, though, uh, so far, I don't have to lie or make shit up about you, Rockwell. You're writing your own autobiography. It's The ball's in your court. You can say whatever you want about yourself, and I'm reading it, so... If you don't want me to tell you everyone what a piece of shit you are, don't list all the shitty things you did to people in your own autobiography. Uh, but we will get to that, I promise. Moving on here. Uh, he blames the Anti-Defamation League. They're in league with uh, Jewish Cabal. Uh, you, you get the gist. I'm not going to go through that line by line. You understand what anti-Semitism is or you wouldn't be listening to the Black and Red Book Review podcast. If you don't understand what anti-Semitism is or why uh, Jews are blamed for running everything, um, I, uh, I'm i sorry. You must have wandered into the wrong podcast. Sorry about that. Uh, the book, uh, he says, for the cost of one volume, they will get what it would take years for their paid agents to search out of dusty files. And they will get the facts herein from me, which they could never get in any other way at all. The book will thus boomerang on me, not only as material to railroad me for another possible another possible trip to the boot to the nut house, but as material for all sorts of painful personal attacks on myself and the people I love, my family, friends, associates, and American Nazi Party comrades. But again, this must be so. It is a calculated risk, just as all my other activity has been. I was aware of the possibilities when I hunt up the swastika. Okay, first of all, uh, very great line there, uh, you took responsibility for what you did when, uh, you hung up the swastika, you shouldn't have been surprised when you played Nazi games and you won Nazi prizes, that's what tends to happen, okay, I'm sorry about that, but also no I'm not, fuck you, uh, but the other thing, if your enemies are going through filing cabinets, which, Presumably I would have had to do to uh, unearth dirt on Rockwell in the pre-internet days instead of just doing OSINT and joining countless Gab groups. By the way, I am in countless Gab groups, so uh, the only way you can not be or safely be a Nazi on Gab is to just shut down Nazi Gab groups and I won't be in them. Um, However, if you're trying to hide information from me and other people doing OSINT anti-fascist research, don't write a fucking book about it. Don't write it all down in a book. Just don't talk about it. Keep your mouth shut. And it'll be fine. I'll never know it. You know? But no, he had to write a fucking uh, masturbatory exercise of an autobiography here, which I promise is shorter than uh, David Duke's monstrosity of a book. Um, Fucked up family life, but uh, still less of of a creepy perv and piece of shit grifter than David Duke is. Not by much, though. Uh, Moving on here. Uh, True family man uh, coming across here, Rockwell was. Quote, Finally, it is utterly impossible to write the book without hurting people I love. My family. So far in my political career, I have protected them from the kind of unfair attacks I must suffer to the best of my ability. I have no right to jeopardize them so long as my career was such an impossible and wild gamble. It is still a gamble, but no longer wild or impossible. It is now, regardless of what wishful thinkers or the ignorant may howl, quite probable that I will achieve leadership as President of the United States in 1973, exactly as I have achieved step-by-step the other goals in my plans, either on time or ahead of time. Uh, Spoiler alert, he did not become President in 1973. That was not why his kids didn't talk to him was uh, it was not because oh our dad failed to become president so we're never going to talk to him again it that that came long before the run for president but we will get to that uh... <laughs> He dedicates a section to his family that doesn't talk to him uh, he's he's been fighting the good fight for Nazi shit uh, and he promises them he says quote, I believe I, after two years of fighting, I believe I am not making an empty boast when I say that I will one day soon amply repay my family for whatever they are made to suffer because of persecution from those hypocrites who hate me in this book but pretend to be lovers of intellectual freedom. Yes, the real freedom uh, is supporting a Nazi and letting him do Nazi shit. And not letting a Nazi do Nazi shit to you and everyone around you is the opposite of freedom, apparently. So, uh, the, oh, bro, we just believe in free speech, bro, from the alt-right, that, that was Rockwell as well. So, uh, moving on here, we are getting to chapter one. Uh, the date in question is Sunday afternoon, July 3rd, 1960. To summarize many, many, many pages of notes, Rockwell holds a Nazi rally from the American Nazi Party on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. by Congress. Uh, the swastika is flying in D.C., not for the last time, as the uh, Putschisten, Puch, Puch, Puchis, the folks who did the Putsch, I don't know the German ac- uh, uh, plural, but the folks who did the Putsch on January 6th, uh, there were certainly people wearing Camp Auschwitz t-shirts and so on. Uh, there was quite a, quite a contingent of white nationalists among the, uh, the normie <laughs> conservatives that went to D.C., But, in this case, it was simply an American Nazi Party affiliate that went to Washington, D.C. They flew the swastika, they did the whole thing, uh, and then they got into one little fight, and then the cops got scared, and uh, they threw Rockwell in a fucking jail cell. Um, And as Rockwell is sitting there in a D.C. cell, uh, musing about, you know, how he came to be here, this could have been a serious moment of reflection, possibly god help him redemption maybe um but he chose not to take it that way and instead think oh well obviously flying the swastika and getting locked up in dc are two separate and barely connected events and my kids love me and i'm nailing it so he decided to go along here uh there is one david duke-esque section of his autobiography as he goes back to his childhood where he uh he wows his 6th grade algebra teacher by, uh, he's told that if two triangles had a side and two angles are the same, they were congruent. And he proved to the teacher that this was not always the case. And he says, quote, I enjoyed a deep gratification at thus accomplishing the impossible. Uh, and so he, he goes through you know middle school into high school. And then he discovers women. And, uh, (laughs) oh boy, (laughs) nothing like a young right-wing teenager, teenage white guy, discovering the concept of women. You would think, oh, he discovers the concept of women as people. No, 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 he does not. Um, but he certainly discovers misogyny. Oh boy, does he? (laughs) (laughs) He says, quote, uh, I cannot abide easy women. Which caused me to be a good deal of an oddball in the service, particularly when I was very young, as one might imagine. I am intrigued only by exceptional females, who require something more subtle than physical overpowering. Uh, he says that he gets deep satisfaction in defying overwhelming odds, he hates bullies, and he was raised to question everything. All of these, con- these character traits are why he became a Nazi, apparently. Uh, he devotes entire paragraphs in chapter 2 to his ancestors in the 1880s, and I just wrote, BORED, all in in caps with an exclamation point, so we skip that part, because I don't fucking care. According to Rockwell, who is trying to, consciously, as he's already said, trying to establish a legend for himself, uh, he recounts that he was born on the same day that Hitler was hospitalized, I have no way of verifying if that's true, um... But Rockwell insists that it is true, March 9th, 1918, and that this was, of course, you know, meant that uh, Rockwell was basically Hitler and also Jesus and uh, destined to be America's Fuhrer and not die bleeding out in a parking lot in Pennsylvania outside a laundromat and a strip mall. Um, His dad uh, was a vaudeville performer named Doc Rockwell. Which, I gotta say, not a big fan of this particular guy named Doc. Uh, fuck, fuck Doc Rockwell. I'm hereby removing his Doc. He, he doesn't deserve to be called Doc. For this part, specifically because of this part right here, I think Rockwell sort of accidentally unpacked some childhood trauma here, and he might not have meant to. Uh, reflecting on his dad, quote, The policy of anything for a laugh Was unfortunately extended to everyday life, and I can remember my father bringing howls of laughter from me when I was still almost a baby being undressed. My garments, shoes, etc. were violently removed in a sort of game where every piece was violently flung on the floor, to the battle song of, Throw it on the floor, bang, bang. This, of course, delighted me to no end, but fostered untidiness, which is one of the plagues of my life. Yeah, sure, that's a plague in your life, maybe. it's probably not one of the plagues it's probably not even up there in terms of the plagues in your life, George Uh, but, you know moving on here Uh, one of the the truly most horrifying traumatic things Rockwell ever experiences he experiences when he was 15 and a woman curses in front of him he just writes writes about it for pages and pages and pages she said the word shit once and he is so horrified he goes to talk to his dad who, uh He's like, Dad, why did she curse? Why did she say shit in front of me? I'm 15. I'm too delicate for this language. To which uh, he replies that she's Jewish. Uh, he's, he says to his dad, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? And Doc Rockwell tells George George Lincoln Rockwell that the Jews are very sophisticated people. Oh, oh boy. Here we go. But Doc also told me of Henry Ford's accusations against the Jews. Uh, (laughs) So, podcast alum, Henry Ford, author of The International Jew, making an appearance on this episode. Very not cool. Uh, And so Rockwell's like, oh, and some Freudian will try to guess that this is where my hatred for Jews comes from. But it is simply not true. Uh, Having in front of me here, uh, he's just... He's he's like I just don't like the Jews because they're doing horror they're plotting against me and running the world against the white race. It has nothing to do with them being Jews. It's because of the horrible evil shit that I think Jews do in my own fucked up head. Um, he doesn't like his, the brain phantoms that he names the Jews, so he applies that to actual Jewish people, which is kind of fucked up. So anyway, uh, back uh, along the narrative here, uh, Rockwell leaves high school early. He lived in Providence, Rhode Island for a while. Then he went back to Maine. He read Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck, which he dismissed as communist propaganda and, quote, an attempt to emotionally manipulate him. Um, I, I, I mean, it's a book about poor people living through the Depression, uh, I don't know if that necessarily counts as emotionally manipulating you other than trying to foster basic empathy. Uh, I don't know if empathy counts as emotional manipulation there, Rockwell. If it does, uh, I feel sorry for you, and you're probably some sort of antisocial personality. Um, there's not much I can do about that. So, Anyway, uh, <laughs> he's, he sees only the fact, quote, That the novel was dangerous to the man who wished to maintain an independent mind. And I was daily growing more independent of mind. Yeah, being a right-wing dipshit in America in the late 1930s is definitely having an independent fucking mind. Are you fucking—first of all, are you fucking kidding me? Second of all, you'll hear this rhetoric a lot among uh, white nationalists and and normie conservatives alike nowadays, especially the more QAnon-y, reactionary, authoritarian types. They're constantly going on about wanting to eliminate indoctrination or whatever. And maintain freedom in their rights, by which they mean the ability to put their boots on people's necks. That's what freedom is for these people. And Rockwell was certainly no exception to this. Um, He, of course, went through an edgy teenage atheist phase. Uh, According to him, this is the first entry in this book that I'll be labeling things that never happened. But according to Rockwell... He skied five miles through the woods in Maine to argue with a Catholic priest uh, alongside his, his school friend from school, who was a, a good Catholic boy. And uh, Rockwell's like, oh, I owned it with facts and logic, and I broke his brain, and, and I drove that kid out of the faith. <laughs> um So edgy, edgelord, atheist kid living in Maine. That, that's George Lincoln Rockwell. Uh, he worked as a waiter for a hot minute. Uh, He, quote, learned some new facts about the world and learned more about females. Yes, he will keep using the word females uh, like a Ferengi instead of referring to women as women. So we're on chapter four now. Uh, He met a girl. She was 24, five years older than him. Uh, This is him talking about his ex-girlfriend, by the way. Quote, she was nothing special, but she was not bad either. And she was a girl. I had earned a little 1936 Ford Coupe, mostly by selling hand soap to garages, and with this piece of modern machinery, which I doctored endlessly, and Franny, his girlfriend, I made some further experiments in the processes by which nature intended there should be more of us. Later, with more experience, I would have had no trouble discovering and experimenting with the process itself. But with my Victorian upbringing, and my utter ineptness in the matter, I allowed Franny to hold the experiments to preliminary investigations of what you might call dress rehearsals. <sighs> Rockwell got to second base with the girl he met at work. That's what he means to say. Uh, it's, he's, he's a very shitty writer, and as a friend of mine said, it's basically a prerequisite among white nationalists that your favorite authors have to be shitty writers in order to be considered intellectual giants. Uh, So he's rather fond of run-on sentences with lots of commas. So he certainly learned to write like a Victorian. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, he says, These sessions were so profoundly exciting that the thoughts and images they provoked interfered seriously with my growing interest in music, art, literature, and philosophy. He got himself a girlfriend, and that interfered with his nerd shit, which I'm a nerd myself. Generally, if I'm dating someone, I want her to, like, have common interests with me and participate in my interests as I participate in hers. That's how, I don't know, healthy relationships should work. But Rockwell's never an expert in healthy relationships. Although he does learn a thing or two about unhealthy relationships. Uh, This is just a a little taste of that for sure. Uh, He hated customers in restaurants, which I've been there in the same. uh, Managed not to be a Nazi, though. Got accepted at the summer uh, at Brown University in Providence during the summer by Bruce Bigelow, the director of admissions. A quick note here. Some guy named Bruce Bigelow, not Bruce Bigelow, male gigolo from the movie from like 2006. Different Bruce Bigelow. I know it confused me too. Bruce Bigelow, the director, not Bruce Bigelow, male gigolo. Moving on. He gave, uh, Bruce Bigelow gave him, uh, Rockwell, his first clue that I might be different from other people. He frankly told me that in view of his of my six years in high school and other vagaries of my student career, I had the worst scholastic record of anybody ever admitted to Brown, but the highest grade on the college aptitude test, which shows intelligence of all the students ever tested. Eh, maybe that's true? Um, Rockwell's not really alive to sue me for libel, so I'm not going to accuse him of lying. Um, I'm gonna put, uh, I'm gonna press X to doubt on that one. Uh, he met his first wife after the hurricane of 38. Of course, she was underage, because obviously... <laughs> he, uh, very early on learns to uh, manipulate authority figures, which, you know, good for him. Uh, he, he learns to break things down to their first principles, and then build back up from there, which is how he manages to pass his tests... Uh, (laughs) he took a sociology 101 course, which he found infected with Marxism. Um, and therefore, uh, he rejects it out of hand and he became the school black sheep. And for standing up to the libs and the Marxists, uh, he he was getting such shit that he decided to, uh, leave Brown university and enlist in the U S Navy. Uh, one little anecdote though. He uh he loved Charlie Chaplin, but he spent half a page ranting about why Charlie Chaplin didn't criticize Stalin enough, um, and he was making fun of Hitler. So you know, apparently that's a, a a a mark against Charlie fucking Chaplin, who many people many more people have heard of Charlie Chaplin than have heard of George Lincoln Rockwell because some people don't rot their brains reading white nationalist bullshit for an audience of anti-fascists. And, uh, and and somewhat white nationalists as well. Uh, moving on to chapter 5 here. I have the notes here. Hierarchy gets him hard, basically. Uh, he, uh, more incel shit about his future ex-wife. Uh, and here we go with more gross shit. Quote, It was during those days, just before we got into the war, with a capital W, that I discovered what a slouch I was in the eternal liberty hunt for women. The other lads were set into motion the moment anything in skirts appeared and were full of brass and loaded with line to catch these fillies. Gross. In the first place, I was repulsed by most of these women. They were cheap and often brassier than my companions. When they would use earthy terms in the inevitable banter of the encounter, it turned my stomach and I would drop out of the contest. Many an evening in these times, I sat in libraries or movies. Well, my buddies enjoyed what to hear them later were the most voluptuous orgies. Gross! I don't want to. I don't want to fucking think about Rockwell in a voluptuous orgy. Can we move on here, please? Says the audience, and yes, we can. Uh, but this is not to say I was a hidden violet entirely. Rockwell continues. At the Roosevelt Hotel in Jacksonville, at a dance one night, I saw an entrancing feminine little creature, whirling around with a host of bow, and was immediately captivated by the dainty girl. When I was interested, I could operate as devastatingly as the boldest of my companions, only in a more subtle way. I cut out a whole mob of would-be captors of this little lady, whose name, I learned, was Elsie. I also got rid of the poor sap who had brought her to the dance. I bowled her off her feet and swept her out of the place, Feeling, feeling enormously masculine and possessive. Uh, he then goes on about how that was the good old days of the Navy, and they're all soy boy cucks now. Uh, he doesn't use the phrase soy boy cucks, but that's basically what it is. Oh, they're all feminized, and they're soy boy cuck military. Uh, war, yay, says Rockwell. Uh, moving on to chapter 6 here. Again labeled gross. Quote, our married life was far from the passionate affair, one might imagine, or rather what it should be. After a lifetime of mother's training, Judy just could not relax and enjoy being a female. Elsie uh, did not work out, so he married a girl named Judy. She had to be on guard every minute to see that she maintained her rights, which she did, but meanwhile lost her major birthright as a human being, real love. I feel like that's your fault, not her fault, George, but okay. There were a good many tears and scenes, but after a while, we arrived at a sort of modus of vivendi and even a bit of gay camaraderie in our mutual bafflement. I have since then come to the conclusion that it's not only not wrong for a man to find out more about life before he gets married, but his duty. Uh... <laughs> yeah, he should fuck more uh, before he marries the first chick that says yes to him. That's basically what uh, he's on about. So, moving on here. Uh, oh, oh, here we go. This, this is, this is fantastic. Quote, why, so you might be asking, why is Rockwell's marriage falling apart? Quote, there is nothing wrong with Judy but the common insanity of all our education today. Her whole life had been dedicated to an unrealistic goal, as are the lives of most of our girls. Without anybody coming out and saying it, the mad scramble for democracy has been extended to the sexes. (gasps) And the natural dominance of the male and the passive submission of the female, which are basic to both natures and absolutely necessary for their happiness, have been scorned as evil carryovers from our animal natures. Gunk Gag. Disgusting. Dry heaving over here. Uh, uh, schooling is bad for children because it, it regiments them. Uh, it also turns, according to Rockwell... Turns women, it, it makes them get all uppity and they don't know their place, basically. And they should devote themselves to being uh, mothers. And not listen to the feminists who are indoctrinating them through the school systems or whatever. Uh, oh, by the way, here we go. Uh, air horn noises. Uh, he is a wife beater, all in caps. Uh, but before we get to that, I have to point out that he, ref- he, pr- he insists that mothering is, quote, women's actual and unavoidable first profession. Unless, of course, your wife leaves you and takes the kids to Reykjavik. Don't worry, we'll get to that. Airhorn, he's a wife beater! There it is. Quote, I discovered the utter fantastic illogicalness, not sure if that's a word, of women, which can be so delightful when it is laughable, and so tragic when it causes a family fight or hurts the children. The only time I ever laid a hand on her was when, and he goes on from there, Um, but personally, I'm a 21st century man, and, uh, I don't think you should be hitting on women. And if you do hit on women, fuck you. So, moving on. My male readers will agree, no I don't, fuck you George, I think, that such perfidy in regard to an agreement, even in such a small affair, is hard to take. Well, I have found the females will consider this sly maneuver a clever way to save money and very commendable. Suffice it to say, I was unable to control my frustration at her total lack of understanding of the principle involved. Uh, Rockwell is too good to push him off, apparently, and he finds shipboard chores in the Navy boring. He flies. He has a mediocre record in the Navy. He gets out of the Navy, and he is horrified to see his wife wearing makeup for once. Gods forbid. Now, we are on Chapter 7 air horn noises he's a failed art student uh he visits some snotty art college in brooklyn and then moves to maine while he waits to hear back regarding his application uh he can't even get people in maine to accept his photography work for free he literally can't hand out his own photographs he'll be like here Tate, have this photograph of your house i just took and people are like ew no get away from me you weirdo um uh there's elitism of course on his part he he th- he genuinely thinks he's better than everyone despite failing at everything uh, uh there here we go here's here's where he fixes every uh every single part of his marriage sometime in the late fall i received word from pratt that i had managed to win a place in the next year's class i felt that i'd already conquered half of the world With such a great victory, I was able to convince Judy that we ought to have a baby. Both of us had heard that having a baby sometimes warms up a wife, and I dearly wanted children anyway. Besides, we had begun to have a pretty good time. Going on long walks together and playing like two kids, with a place at Pratt secured and our marriage showing signs of life, I'm pretty good. Uh, oh no, his wife chose not to breastfeed the baby. Cue a multi paragraph rant about women and the Jews. Uh, <laughs> uh, The whole thing, says Rockwell, is another manifestation of the corrosive and perverted idea of moderns, never heard the word used that way before, that it is somehow degrading to be a woman, to have babies, to nurse them, and to fulfill the animal functions of a woman. What? For my children's sakes, I am happy to say, I was able to prevail over her mother's dictum with Judy, and she lovingly nursed all of the kids. Even when with the youngest, it meant excruciating pain and a breast pump. Wife says, hey, I don't need to breastfeed these kids. My kids. I know my body, and this doesn't work, and I'm going to take care of these kids the other way. Rockwell doesn't like that, so he just beats on her, I guess. What a guy. Pages of racist ranting about his art school classmates, which might be in Mind Kampf as well. I've never, I've never finished it because it's a boring book, so who knows. Uh, they have another kid. Then uh, he goes on for pages about women these days, showing their ankles. Not like in Rockwell's Grandpa's day. He's reflecting back on the mid-1940s, by the way. Like, in the mid-1940s, oh my god, these feminists are out of control. Uh, amazing. He discovers McCarthy, uh, and then he goes back to, to to war again to Korea this time. Uh, he uh, his wife had taken the children to her grandmother's place in Hadline, Connecticut, so he went ahead alone to San Diego, which he thought was a mistake. So he goes to Korea, uh, a a camp a campaign organizer for Douglas MacArthur's failed presidential campaign. Allegedly explains the secret of the Jews, you might call it uh, the JQ, if you will, uh, explains this concept to Rockwell, uh, gives him Henry Ford's international Jew, uh, and then Rockwell discovers Mein Kampf, which which he describes as basically a religious experience. Like, what has happened when I've taken edibles and meditated? Rockwell experienced from reading Mind Kampf. Uh, Which brings us to chapter 8. More scenes from the Rockwell home. Uh, He neglects his kids and wife and the Navy uh, to do Nazi shit. He moves again, leaving his once again estranged wife at her mother's house in Rhode Island. Um, He gets posted in Iceland, stupid, sexy Iceland, which he just goes on about for pages. And then, ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary comrades, the part that you were waiting for. She leaves him! Yay! Woo! All right, she left him. Now Rockwell has to reflect on why his wife has left him. This might be a a growth moment, right? Nope. I must, of course, says Rockwell, take credit for not being a thoughtful husband in San Diego and not being a good provider before that. But there was not much sense in her actions on this visit. She had simply gotten to enjoy her status as head of the household and possessor of the car. God forbid, without any husband underfoot, and she was unhappy with me there. So, uh, yeah, it's all it. If yeah, she left me and took the kids, but it's all her fault though. Real divorce dad energy going in here. Which I got to be fair. My parents divorced when I was a child. Uh My dad is not like this at all. So, uh, I maybe it's just Rockwell. I don't fucking know. Uh, rockwell gets remarried to an icelandic woman whose name i (laughs) neglected to write down (laughs) oops Uh, she loves him despite him being a literal nazi or maybe because of the literal nazi shit breakup misogyny here oh here's her name her name is thora uh breakup misogyny which i can't relate to quote thora enjoyed being a woman she gloried in it she swam in it and it brought out the best in me, as nature intended. I learned at last to know what a female was supposed to be like, and it made me bitterly sorry for my first wife, Judith. Movies, according to Rockwell, as he immediately changes topics again, because this guy did not know how to write a transition. Movies are emasculating American men, says Rockwell, reflecting on the early 1950s at this point. Uh, which is just fucking awesome but all in all according to him this was a pretty good relationship i believe she was his last wife as well quote even with the usual petty annoyances it was a rich and rewarding experience to be married to such a complete and loving woman she taught me how to feel and behave like a male with females Overcoming my training in American ways for men, which always seem to involve an inferiority complex for husbands and fathers. The latter, uh, blah, blah, movies are emasculating men. We already covered that. I'm, I'm going to spare myself having to read the rest of that line of garbage. Uh. Okay, where the fuck did I leave off? Do I have to turn pages again? Alright, we're turning the page again. Alright, we are that much closer to getting done. Good for me. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I have so many notes here. I got lost. Look, because I am a hack and a fraud, and I am simply not worth, uh, you know, paying attention to. Apparently, for this personal project. Now, where the fuck did I leave? Ah. Oh. Ah, here we go. Fantastic. Okay. I found my place. I apologize. We are on chapter 9. He tried to start a military uh, magazine for military wives and used it to push Nazi shit. Why did he do this, you ask? Quote, I realized that no ordinary job I could find would produce the income I must have, with my ex-wife threatening dire action if I failed to send the gigantic alimony payments and my present family needing all I could possibly earn. Only through the creation of a job and a business for myself, which would pay large sums of money, could catastrophe be prevented. Desperate effort was required. Uh, he's, got a, he's got a grift. He's got a fucking grift. He's got a pound pavement and grift. So he hustles hard. Uh, his wife gets lonely and jealous. There's more complaining about his wife. His current wife. Not his ex-wife. His current wife. She was pregnant again. Well, fuck, George. How the... How... How did that happen? How did... she, She just gets pregnant again. Amazing. She was pregnant again, but she pitched in with the typing, the filing, and making of address stencils at the same time that she was trying to make a home out of our dingy apartment and a living out of the pennies we had left after sending the money up to my first wife. Uh, (laughs) We had no fun, no pleasure, no pause, in the desperate scramble to survive and get the magazine on its feet, but Thora had the faith of a saint. Even when I would get discouraged and felt almost sure my gigantic struggle would come to naught. My brave little wife would put her arms around me, look me in the eyes, tell me how she believed in me and trusted me, and I would fairly burst with new drive and inspiration. She knew the age-old secret of women, how to inspire and fill a man with power he could never have alone. How I loved her, I can never repay her loyalty and devotion." You might be able to start by not ranting about her for paragraphs at a time. Uh, Let's see if he continues to do that. He's not able to pay a salary to his employees, uh, but he nevertheless gathered a staff of 30 people just by enthusiasm and his own brilliant leadership. Uh, This was giving him the training which enabled him to accomplish the far more difficult task of organizing men into the most persecuted organization in the world. Uh, quote, he says, My men have to give up everything of fun and profit in life and then pay to stay with me. I learned how to get people to create miracles just because of something they believe in. A far more powerful force than the mere desire for money. But, you know, get Rockwell's fucking money. But I was having some fearful problems with my females. Uh, Women workers are getting restless over such parole concerns as payment and working themselves half to death. Um, according to Rockwell, this is the second thing that never happened, probably. According to Rockwell, the FBI enlists him to spy on an alleged communist who's also an army general. Uh, and then the FBI double-crosses him. Shocker. Rockwell is hurt and betrayed. Great line here. Perhaps some men prefer millions of dollars to patriotism. I have this section labeled, What the fuck does this mean? Quote, Without cash money, I learned, a man is nearly helpless in the business world no matter how clever, how dedicated, how right, how hardworking he is, or how worthwhile his contribution may be. Without cash, you are forbidden to contribute to our society, except as a muzzled and chained hired hand. Uh Uh-oh, starting to sound a little like an anarchist here, George. This is one of the things we shall change. I know you're going to fuck this up, George. How are you going to fuck it up? Quote, Things must be arranged so that free enterprise and investment are respected, of course, but also so that genius and talent are not crushed and enslaved by the brutal, ugly power of money. Boy, with uh, awesome policy proposals like that, you are on your way to being fucking president. No question. So then he decides to go uh, start a conservative newspaper in Washington, D.C., but then he runs into the problem that, the, according to him, the American right are just pathetic grifters and losers and snitches. Which, you know, that goes on and 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 on. Bringing us to chapter 10 to 11. He allegedly, a meeting is stolen from Rockwell by a wealthy plantation owner. And chapters 10 and 11 are just endless petty drama with what nowadays we would call influencers and various grifters. Uh, He goes up to New Jersey, of all places. Uh, He meets a guy that lives in his garage. Uh, He uh, starts a door-to-door business consultant gig with more anti-Semitic ranting, of course. I'll spare you the details on that one uh and then he fig he figures out his uh, strategy going forward here. Basically, according to Rockwell, open Nazi shit would quote force the cabal of Jews to publicize Rockwell's name and thus earn him money. Question mark. Um. By the way, uh, another uh plot to stop the ascension of this wannabe pure psychiatry. Psychiatry is a plot against him. Uh, to take him away from the kids. That his wife took away from him uh serious l ron hubbard situation going on here uh this uh this has to be my favorite uh paragraph in this entire book right here this is uh I, I, i literally have this just labeled oh george quote by being a nazi with the swastika i would also gather the only kind of people i wanted around me The tough, dedicated idealists, ready to fight for those ideals and give their lives if necessary. And even more importantly, I would automatically scare off the millions of blabbermouths, cowards, fools, and crackpots which infest the rest of the movement. The swastika would probably not bring me many supporters, but those who came to me would be men. Uh... Yeah, um, that hasn't typically been my experience with neo-Nazis in the United States. Um, they're mostly, uh, wife beaters, check, grifters, check, uh, snitches, not check in this case, um, and or petty drug dealers, uh, some combination of these. So, uh, here we go with the, the Irish were slaves too rhetoric, basically, which, uh, as an Irish American myself, fuck you, quote, it is notable that people once hated the Irish, a bunch of other peoples, but also the Irish, and other minority groups as they arrived in America. But they all rolled up their sleeves, pitched in, and managed to make their way in this country without making a fetish out of being hated. Uh, for those of you who aren't convinced Nazis, I highly recommend you Google the term Molly Maguire's. Um, yeah, that's why answer to that statement. Moving on. Uh... Normie American whites are, according to Rockwell, too passive and consumerist to do Nazi shit. Uh, They want to have fun with their families, God forbid. Rockwell can't relate to that, obviously. That's why his kids are in Reykjavik. Uh, And then Rockwell ends the chapter by calling himself an Apostle of Adolf Hitler, which can only... It's only uphill from here. (laughs) Chapters chapters 13 through 18. Fails to pay his ex-wives, plural at this point. More misogyny, of course. Uh, according to Rockwell, another great line. Only Jews would ever label him a failure. Uh, his wife has a fourth kid. Uh, Rockwell explains to neo-Confederate chuds that the Confederacy shit alienates the whites, and only the swastika can have mass appeal. Wait, I thought whites were too passive, and we only needed an elite for a racialist party, and we're not trying to reach the masses. I lost the thread. I don't know. Down to Atlanta now. And then back up to Virginia, where he sets up with a racist guy who lives in his garage and doesn't like loud noises or people and is definitely neurodivergent before that term existed. Uh, Rockwell has a fun rant about how the, the Canadian intelligence is spreading lies about him. <laughs> yeah, the Canadians, George. <laughs> the fucking Canadians are on to me. Ah, the Canadians are spying on me from every rooftop. Ah, wow, what a fucking guy. An incredible shit going on here. Uh, and, he, and Rockwell says, quote... Even those who may be personally angered at the exposures here will know that they are true, and those with which they are not familiar are equally true. I've already made peace with more than one of the people already mentioned, and I will one day make peace gratefully with all of them. As soon as they give up their childish squabbling and buckle down to fighting, either on our side or by themselves, but not against the cause. I'm not ta- I'm not air and dirty laundry, bro. I'm not trying to, like, have beef, bro. I'm just, like, calling them how I sees them, bro. Uh, says Rockwell. So, uh people accuse him of snitching quote many in the movement cannot understand how i get away with what we do unless we are spies as they foolishly and cruelly charge until our arrival on the right wing scene it was believed that the police the fbi and all other all other authorities are against us and that we must fight them i have proved to my associates over and over that this is not true Uh, some of them work for the jews of course uh, but Rockwell says, the great bulk of our law enforcement officials are white men and simply enforce the law the best they know how. Um, and they're basically on Rockwell's side, according to Rockwell, and probably reality, too. Um, so he's trying not to go too hard on, in, the, in, the, you know, in the paint for, against the cops. Because, you know, why would you want to do that? Uh, so moving on here, just a little bit. Uh they they cops have to give in to their animal instincts, he says, which you know they you run, they chase you. but when you go to them first, explain your plans, your knowledge of your rights, and respectfully make clear your stealing determination to exercise those rights. they respect you and often go to bad for you. Okay. All right. All right, listen, I'm not giving Nazis anything. Certainly not free advice. So this is one more for the liberals that might stumble upon this podcast. Even if you don't like the term OPSEC, which is short for Operational Security, certainly don't use it if you're only going to uh, wave signs and yell. Um, But, OPSEC 101, don't explain your plan to the cops! Oh my fucking god. (sighs) Just ask the January 6th crowd how that works, you know? Fuck. Don't go explain your shit to cops. They're not on your side. Unless you're a Nazi. Then they're probably on your side. Uh, By the way, his model ex-wife that he loves, is just a a, a god amongst women. She leaves him too. Multiple wives with multiple children have left Rockwell at this point. I'm beginning to think it might be Rockwell. Uh, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Quote. In spite of my notoriety... And the fear inspired by my name, I was able to get some odd jobs here and there. Little by little, I paid enough on the bills to put the lights back on and even got my phone back. Oh my God! I boned up on the law fiercely until I was un- one day able to face Aerosmith's highly paid as his landlord, Aerosmith's highly paid attorney, before the circuit court judge and win an agreement to settle. The day I won the agreement should have made me happy. But when I went home to that cold and empty house which had been so filled with noisy children and a warm, loving wife, my victory seemed almost worse than defeat. For this first time, I discovered the brutal joke of fate in granting happiness which cannot be shared with somebody you love. Since then, I have won goal after goal and have earned and received the applause of thousands of fine people all over the earth. But all their praise, all the victories, even walking into the White House, can never equal in human satisfaction the tender, blessed smile of my wife and even the smallest advance we shared together. Rockwell misses his wife and kids, which is, you know, fine. So, you may ask yourself, how does Rockwell deal with missing his now ex second ex-wife does he drink no does he play the guitar no does he go fishing with the boys no what he does do is he gets himself an 18 foot swastika flag uh which in the mail which Rockwell pins up and turns into a Nazi shrine in his basement. Candles, flags, portrait of Hitler with framing, the works. Uh, he invites two uh, right-wing veterans over to his house, both of whom, <laughs> turns out, despite being horrible racists, are also World War II vets, and they are not down with this Nazi shit. They almost walk out on him, but he manages to convince them to join the American Nazi party. Uh, Remember earlier about how he thought the swastika would attract the uh, best specimens of humanity and the white race? Here's where he's at right now. Quote, Many of the characters who were attracted to us were pretty sorry specimens of humanity. (laughs) Yeah, you think? One man arrived late at night with a caged bird and some kind of sacred book. He wanted to join the party because, quote, The Bolsheviks were ruining his sex life. I hate when those guys show up. And we're always keeping him from having a girlfriend. He claimed that he wanted to fight them. He and the bird, that is. Uh oh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right, so we got the giant flag. We got the portrait of Hitler. We told the proto-incel to go kick rocks. Rockwell's got his shit together. He won the suit with his landlord. He's going to go get Thora back. So he drinks way too much, and he gets on the plane to Reykjavik. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> Quote, letters from my wife were coming to be less and less frequent and less filled with the fanatical devotion I love so much in her. I needed all the sustaining love I could get and kept heckling her for more mail. That's, yeah, I, I figured it was some dependency shit. There it is. You You heard it here. He needed all the sustaining love he could get and kept heckling her for more mail. Finally, I wrote a relatively sharp letter asking why she couldn't write me more often. I got back a magnetic tape, but couldn't play it because there was no electricity. So I lugged the tape recorder to a nearby church which was empty, sneaked into the basement, plugged in the machine, and listened to my wife's voice. What I heard chilled my blood. For the first time in our lives, she sounded really distant and even a little nasty. Thora's parents wanted him, wanted her to divorce George Lincoln Rockwell for reasons that George simply cannot understand. He's nailing it after all, right? He's a perfect fucking guy. Nothing wrong with him. Why would her, why would her parents want her to divorce him? Uh, he keeps moving because everywhere he tries to move to, neighbors uh, keep throwing his ass to the curb. Uh, Thora insists that one of the conditions for getting back together is that he must be able to take care of his own damn kids gods forbid right so he gets drunk he flies to Reykjavik and he gets thrown out on his ass by his ex-wife quote i sat down on the stairs outside her apartment dying shriveling and screaming with agonies inside i will spare the reader the agonizing description of the unbelievable days and nights which followed god could you please i was ordered out of the house I refused and decided to fight physically because I could not believe my wife's actions, and the lawyers and police were used to force me to leave. I am absolutely sure I was out of my mind for several days. The grief, the hurt, the shock and horror were more than I could absorb. I drank what whiskey I could get hold of and wandered in the cold, gray, drizzly streets. Along with everything else, I had a horrible toothache. And that, my friends, is where the notes end. That, the divorce, the failed grifts, the founding of the American Nazi Party, this scene with Rockwell, drunk, lonely, wandering around Reykjavik and then Virginia with a toothache, will start him on a path that leads him to a blood-soaked parking lot in Pennsylvania, which was the path that he chose for himself, and he had no one to blame but himself. So it is for Rockwell... So it is for all white nationalists. So it is for all neo-Nazis. You are not going to be the next top viewer. At best, your friends will use you and discard you the minute you are inconvenient. You will ruin your relationships. You will ruin your lives. You will not recognize yourself in the mirror. Do not go down this path if you know what's good for you. This is the host of the Black and Red Book Review podcast. Until next time, I will see you in the streets.